Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you very much for coming. We're delighted that you're here. To all of the people that watch this thing all over the world, it stuns me every week how much response we get from all over the world. People watch this thing. So, God bless you wherever you are. And uh, now you've been standing for a while. Usually, I just read just a couple of scriptures. I don't do this often. So I'm not going to ask you to stand. Going to just, but I would like you to follow with me behind me on the screen. Maybe, just maybe, you might have a Bible. I know it's probably on your phone and all that. I just never, ever did get quite. I still like to hear rustling of pages. I'm old school. They're dragging me, kicking and screaming into the 18th century as it is. Thank you for coming. We greet all of our guests. I have a very, very special guest here, Doris Fox, who is a longtime friend of my mother. And we want you to know we're delighted that you're here. God bless you. And uh, um, I'm very disappointed my family is in town and they, we had a little episode with the baby. She got very, very ill, so they had to go. But maybe next Sunday they'll be here. But I'm very, only once a year usually I get to be with all of my family. and I miss them. I miss them. These are familiar scriptures to many people. Maybe let's try and go from a known to an unknown, Okay. Albert Einstein one time said, if you can't explain it to a six-year-old, you don't understand it yourself. (laughs) Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And whether I go, you know, in the way you know. And Thomas said unto him, Lord, uh, we don't know where you're going. How in the world are we going to know how to get there? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Any man, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father. Henceforth you will know him and have seen him. (laughs) Philip said unto him, Lord, would you just show us who the Father is and we'll be satisfied. It sufficeth us. Jesus said unto him, have I been so long time with you and yet thou hast not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. How in the world can you say, show us the Father? Believe that I'm in the Father and the Father in me. The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me doeth the works. Believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father in me. If you can't believe what I'm saying, would you at least believe what you see? Would you believe me for the works sake? He that believeth on me, watch this closely, 
The works that I do shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do because I go to my Father. Whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. I want to teach you on something this morning, this afternoon, I guess. I've been on so many planes the last couple of days, I don't know, I hardly know what time zone I'm in. I want to teach you on something we're going to call satisfied saints. Satisfied saints. I just finished a manuscript for something I call unreaped corners. I've wanted to write stuff for years. I don't know, sensing my mortality or whatever now, I decided to start putting some stuff down on paper. The Bible said of the writing of books, there is no end. <laughs> so I, I, I have always enjoyed going to places in the Bible that nobody else goes, like the genealogies. Nobody reads genealogies. I do. I, I find amazing stuff tucked away in those begats. Because it says all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. Not just some of it, but all of it. And it says it's all profitable. I'd one day like to write another book on verses that I feel are, many of them are undervalued and many of them misinterpreted. None more than this. In my father's house are many mansions. Coming from the modest roots that I have, I can understand why people want to wrestle something from this verse that finds its roots in our lack. Years ago, when people wanted to talk about wealthy folks, they used names like Rockefeller and Getty and Andrew Carnegie. Today, you have Bill Gates and Bezos of Amazon Fortune and an old man named Warren Buffett who's also known as the Oracle from Omaha. But when I was a boy, it was a mythical character whose name was Mike Scrivaggi. I never met Mr. Scrivaggi. Truth be told, I've never ever seen a picture of him. But every now and then, this zephyr of a man stepped out of the mist of lore and legend and when someone wanted to refer to the wealthiest person in our tiny little orbit, they would say, that land's owned by Mike Scrivaggi. He was a coal baron and looked to me like he owned everything. Where I came from, most dreams went as far as good men lying on their back and disappearing into a hole in the side of a hill. When they came out of it, their teeth would shine like ivory, framed by faces blackened with cold soot and dust. And they would proudly say, I've been harvesting energy from Mother Earth. I was raised in a small coal mine town in West Virginia called McKinleyville. And before anyone assumes I am ridiculing, let me tell you that coal miners are the bravest, honest, hardest working people on the face on this planet. 
Most of the homes where I lived were very modest at best. It seemed that every house was covered with the same ugly squares of roofing tar that someone said resembled bricks. So I can understand people pining for a mansion. Just think of it, me and nobody from nowhere. I get to go to heaven and I'm going to live in a mansion. However, as I grew in my understanding of the word, that myth very quickly disappeared. It's unfortunate that I have so little time to explain such a vast subject, but suffice it to say that in the Bible, there's a first birth and there's a second birth. There's a first resurrection and there's a second resurrection. There's a first death and there's a second death. John gave us a lot of insight into this when he said, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the spirit says unto the churches and he that overcometh shall not be hurt by the second death. This is just another reason why being born again is so important, so vital. Jesus said, if you aren't born again, you're not even gonna see the kingdom. Don't ever forget this. If you have a second birth, you will go in the first resurrection and you will never experience the second death because it says, blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection on such the second death hath no power. So many believers can only see as far as the catching away. It's a Greek word, epasunegego. It's where we get the word rapture. Live for Jesus and be caught up with him in the clouds. Paul taught that to the church in Thessalonica because if you read the book of Thessalonians, they thought they had missed the rapture. And he was comforting them and letting them know there's got to be some stuff happened before that takes place. Ladies and gentlemen, time, time itself is broken into the binaries of B.C. and A.D. Everything that you can think of that has a date on it is a testimony to the fact he's been here. And he said, I'm coming again. Paul said, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord and he went on to say comfort one another with this and then after you're caught up there's going to be a banquet that Revelation 19 refers to as the marriage supper of the Lamb Spiritualize it all you want, but Jesus rose from the dead, walked through a wall into a locked room and sat down and ate dinner with his disciples. I think we're going to eat. I do. And when the meal is over, you get to go home and live forever in your mansion. That's it. Game, set, match. Wrong. Listen to what Paul said to Timothy 
It's one of the last things he ever wrote to this young protege. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. In Revelation 5, it said that he has made us kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. Another verse said he's coming back and when he comes back, he's bringing people with him that have been called, chosen, and faithful. Revelation 20 said, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years on the earth. My point is simple. What good is a mansion in heaven going to do you if you're ruling on the earth for a thousand years? That's a long time to be away from this 28-star motel suite that we've all been told we're going to get. So let's use scripture to explain scripture here. Listen, in my father's house are many mansions. You've got to understand something. I, I know it says out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let everything be established. This is talking about the vindication of a man accused of murder. That's what that's talking about. Anyone that ever tells you that God has to say it multiple times is wrong. He's God. <laughs> All he has to do is say it once. That's enough. Jacob was blessed by his father Isaac. That blessing was supposed to go to his brother Esau. But Jacob got it. And it says in the book of Hebrews, when it's referring to Esau, it said, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. And he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. In other words, he went back to his dad and said, come on, daddy, give me the blessing. And he said, you don't get it, boy. You just had one shot at this. It's gone. Your brother got it. Crying, repenting, didn't work one time. Later we find that same blessing grabber Jacob blessing his grandsons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Joseph, of course, bailed his family out. He's in Egypt. They found a great place for him to come down there and Grandpa thought the boy was dead. He was so overjoyed to see Joseph again. It's a great scripture I love. It says, and Pharaoh talked to Jacob about Joseph. Boy, would I have loved to have heard that conversation. When the king of the greatest nation in the world put her arm around that old man and said, boy, you got a good, you got a good boy. <laughs> it's a somber moment. He's bringing his two boys to his daddy. Ephraim is boy number two. Manasseh's boy number one. So he puts Manasseh by his daddy's right hand. He puts Ephraim by his left hand. And it says in Genesis 48 and verse 14, while Joseph's got his eyes closed, the old man crosses his hands and puts the right hand on boy number two and left hand on boy number one. And when Joseph opened his eyes to his horror, he saw what was happening and tried to claw his father's hands off of what he thought was the wrong boy's head because Joseph knew 
And no doubt he heard it from the very guy who was praying over his boys. There's only one shot at this. Moses never led Israel into Canaan because he struck the rock twice. It was only supposed to happen once. I don't have time to park here any longer, but suffice it to say, there are things in the word that only happened one time. One time he said, let there be light. And there was, and it's been here ever since. Old timers used to say, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. I say, God said it, and that settles it regardless of what you believe. There are words that only appear one time in the Bible. Words like success, chickens, Lucifer, one time. When anybody care to argue with me that chickens don't exist just because they're only mentioned one time in the Bible. Trust me, I'm a preacher. I know a lot about chicken. And there are many words used to describe Satan in the Bible, but Lucifer is only used once. And so I come to another word that's only used once. Mansion. In my father's house, mansions. To us, a mansion is an elaborate home with acres of manicured lawn and thousands of square feet of living space, the best of marbles and granites and wood panels, an elaborate door that leads to a vast foyer that has a grand staircase, the finest of carpets, Wedgwood china, perfectly lined on an endless mahogany table lit by chandeliers made out of the best Baccarat crystal. However, in the original language, the word mansion simply means dwelling place. So let us investigate that other phrase, my father's house. I found three places in the Bible that are of interest to this little lesson today. You have to go to the Revised Standard Version for the first one. It's in Luke chapter 2. Joseph and Mary have taken Jesus to the feast and they're going back home. And they experience the horror of a parent. They lost their child. It says they supposed him to be in the midst. (laughs) I like that verse. Because I think there's an awful lot of people that make that same mistake. They just always assume I'm going to find Jesus in my family. But he wasn't there. So they backtrack and they end up going to the temple. And to their amazement. If you read Luke 2. There's this 12 year old boy. It said not only was he listening. But he was asking doctors questions. And this is what he said. How is it that you sought me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Can anyone even try to argue that he's talking about heaven? He's talking about a building. The temple. 
Luke 2 gives an account of Lazarus and the rich man. Tradition says the rich man's name was Dives, but it's not a Bible word. They died. I've always liked this. It says, and the rich man died and was buried. But it says Lazarus died and was carried. I like that. When you die, would you just would you like to be buried or carried? <laughs> it says that the rich man begs the Lord. Would, would, would you please send me back to my father's house? Let me go or let somebody go to my father's house and try to convince these people to live right. My father's house. In John chapter 2, Jesus began his ministry by cleansing the temple and he ended his ministry cleansing the temple. So many similarities. He starts with a fish story. He ends with a fish story. Beginning, the nets broke. At the end, they didn't. Great stuff. But he's cleansing the temple and he's screaming, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. You have turned church into the starvation army. You, 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 you've charged church into a, into a yard sale. What is he talking about in these three things? What is the father's house in these? I can only find three. But when he talks about the father's house, it's talking about an actual structure. In two points, it was the temple. In another one, it was the house the man's dad lived in. But it's a building on the earth. So now with Revelation, listen to Matthew 23 and 38. That right before Calvary, this is what he said. Your house is left desolate. See, the Bible said that the veil was going to be ripped from the top to the bottom. Not just to let us in, but to let God out. Because he's referring to the temple. Your house is left desolate. I know that because right after that, two verses later, it says, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple And his disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. And he said, you know what? There's not going to be one stone left upon another here. If you know history, in 70 AD, Titus, a Roman general, invaded Jerusalem. Herod had remodeled the temple and had coated it with gold. I was was in Rangoon years ago in Burma. They call it Myanmar now. It's the largest gold pagoda in the world. I came out of my motel and the sun hit that golden pagoda in the morning and it was, it was amazing. It was just this brilliant display of white light. It's very similar what must have happened with Herod's temple. But when the temple caught on fire, that gold, very malleable, melting at very low heat. History said it ran down the walls like wax and congealed between the stones. And those Roman soldiers took pry bars and pried their stones apart because there were ropes of gold that had cooled 
in the crevices between the rocks and the prophecy of Jesus came true. They literally tore it apart. Now watch. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtst to behave in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. I don't have time to show you how many verses that teach this, but simply said, I know what the Father's house was before Calvary. It was the temple in Jerusalem. But what's the Father's house today? The church. Church is not where you are. It's who you are. Now, now put it all together with Revelation. In my Father's house, what's that today? The church are many mansions. What's that? Dwelling places. That's why the New International Version said, in my Father's house, there's lots of rooms. Watch as the word progresses. Philip, one of the original 12, says, Would you just show us who the Father is and we'll be satisfied? And Jesus, in utter exasperation, says, Have I been with you for three years and you still don't get it? After all you've seen, I I still can't believe what you're saying. He that has seen me has seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Don't you get it, Philip? I'm the Father in flesh. I'm deity in dust. Ladies and gentlemen, God is a spirit. There's only one legal liquid that can deal with sin, and that's blood. Spirits don't have that. One time Jesus said, handle me and see A spirit doesn't have flesh and bone as you see me have. On your credit card, there's a, used to be, I don't know if they still do, there's this piece of foil, shiny, red, green. It's called a hologram. That's the Greek word there for spirit. They literally believe they could stick their hand right through him like smoke. And he said, no, 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 touch me. I got a body. I'm not a hologram. Spirit doesn't have a body. I got a body. You get what I'm saying to you right now? God cannot redeem any money, anybody, as long as he remains in spirit form. So God took an earthly set of duds out of layaway and came to this earth in flesh. What, you know, I've heard this theory all my life. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, co-equal. Really, co-equal? Well, how in the world does one pray to another one? In the garden. That doesn't sound to me like equality. It sounds to me like one's asking for the other's help. Look at Galatians. I want to know who raised up Jesus from the dead. Galatians 1 and 1 said, God the Father raised him from the dead. Romans chapter 8 and I don't know, off the top of my head, probably verse 11. It says, if the spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, it'll do to you what it did to him. 
Look, look, look what Jesus said in John chapter 2 and eh, probably verse 19. Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. So in Galatians 1 and 1, the Father said he raised him up. In Romans 8 and 11, Holy Spirit said he raised him up. In John chapter 2, Son said he raised himself up. So I want to know who raised Jesus from the dead. I can go on and on with this. But listen to me. You have a spirit. Angels are spirits. Demons are spirits. But there's only one spirit in the Bible that gets a capital S. Listen to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 4. There's one body and there's one spirit. Capital S. All right? Now take that little bit of information and apply it to John 4, 24. God is spirit, capital S. So there's only one supreme almighty spirit. That spirit's God. Do you agree with that? Very good class. Now go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 17. Now the Lord is that same spirit. So whether you call that spirit God or Lord, it doesn't matter. It's the same spirit. All right? Now you go to Acts 9. When Saul of Tarsus is on, his, on the road to Damascus, going to imprison and kill these cultish Christian sect, and all of a sudden he ends up with his rear in the dust of that road, and he looks up in verse number five and he said, Who, in the, who art thou, Lord? <laughs> Watch the response. I'm Jesus. I found out several years ago, all of my family... We're all Jews. I didn't know that. My mother's here, Hoffman. My grandmother, Osman, Osman. All Jewish ancestry. So I went to Southfield and I started making friends with the Orthodox community. And I met this rabbi named Avram. And he looked at me and he said, Who made man, Harold? And I said, God made man, Abraham. No, 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 no. That's not what it says. What's it say? You got to be tough if you're going to talk with these guys because they teach by questioning and they're very, very, very stern. And I said, I don't know, Abraham. And he said, oh, for goodness sakes, Harold, you claim to be a pastor and you don't even know who made man. Quote two and seven, Harold. So somehow I was good enough to figure it out. And I said, and the Lord God formed. He said, stop. Did you get it? I said, no, sir, I didn't. He said, okay, quote it again. I said, and the Lord God stopped. Did you get it? No, Avram, I didn't. Oh. He said, Harold, what is God? I knew better than to say Yahweh. Because if I said that, he would have smacked my face. I said, Elohim. He said, very good. What does it mean? I said, righteous judgment and justice. Very good. He said, now, what is Lord? I said, Adonai. He said, good, what's it mean? I said, mercy. He said, did you get it? And I said, no, I didn't. He said, I'll go really slow for you, Harold. God made the trees, and God made the birds, and God made the great light and the lesser light. But when God got ready to make man, he knew man would need more than a judge. So it's the first introduction of his compound name, Lord God. Because he knew he was going to need mercy <laughs> before he ever... 
<laughs> well, that, that was my end, you see. <laughs> that when I, that's when I thought the door cracked open. I said, okay, Abraham, let me talk to you about the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, no, 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 we're not going there. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, look at the ministry of Jesus. What was the ministry of Jesus? What, what is it? Okay. We're big on being filled with the spirit and buried in his name and baptism. Nobody gets the Holy Ghost in the ministry of Jesus. He baptized his 12 and that's it. This is not some tent meeting with people getting the Holy Ghost and being baptized in Jesus name. It doesn't happen. What is the ministry of Jesus? What did he do? To understand that you got to go back to David. You see, there's only two sacrifices in the Old Testament. For there, there's two sin, rather, in the Old Testament for which there's no sacrifice. There's no sacrifice for murder. If you murder someone, you can't offer some bullock or goat and, and hope it'll go away. Not a chance. And there's no sacrifice for adultery. That explains the repentant prayer of David in Psalms 51 when he said, I would have given you a sacrifice if that's what you wanted. But he said, you didn't want a sacrifice of an animal. You wanted a broken and a contrite spirit. David said, I was shaped in sin, conceived in iniquity. Most people believe he was an illegitimate child. Based on Deuteronomy 23, an illegitimate child can't go into the house of God for 10 generations. And yet David obviously went into the house of God. How? How did he get there? I'll tell you how. Mercy. Mercy. Every reason why he shouldn't be allowed to go. Mercy. No wonder. What is, the, what is the ministry of Jesus? Listen to what they constantly called out to him. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. You showed mercy to my great-grandpappy David. I'm asking you to show mercy to me today. We serve the Lord Jesus Christ. There's mercy in front of that name. Take advantage of it. Exploit the moment. Oh, God. You, 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 have, to, uh, you have to understand this. I, there, there, there's, there's only one spirit. That spirit is God. That same spirit is the Lord. I don't care if you call that spirit God, Lord, Father, and when anybody want to argue with me that that spirit is not holy... There's not a spirit of the Father separate from the spirit of the Son, separate from the Holy Spirit. There's just one spirit. Do you get that? And that's what Philip couldn't grasp. See, I'm a father. I'm a son. My grandkids are in the city today. I'm a proud grandfather. But the, my name is not son, father, grandfather. The name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit is not Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The saving name of our God is Jesus. Oh, Jesus. And that same, 
that same Jesus, frustrated, looks at a guy that's been with him for three years and he said, you still don't know who I am? Is that all it's going to take to satisfy you, Philip? If you know who I am? They are the father and son are not equal. In fact, in this verse, Jesus said, I can't do anything by myself. It's the father that dwells in me that does the works. For God's sakes, folks, listen with revelation. What are you saying when you say the son of God? The son was not God. If God, if the son was God, then God died on a cross. But if you understand father is flesh, or father is spirit and son is flesh, you can say exactly what Jesus said. It's what Paul said, to wit God, the father, was in Christ, the son, reconciling them unto himself. When you say the son of God, what is the son? It's flesh. What is God's spirit? So when you say the son of God, you say the flesh of the spirit. That's it. Don't you get it, Philip? The Father is spirit. I'm flesh, but the Father's in me. Don't you get it, Philip? Don't you get it, Pentecost? Don't you get it today? Is that all it will take to satisfy you? For you to hoot and holler about the mighty God in Christ? We've yelled and hooted and hollered about that for years. Listen, the revelation of the mighty God in Christ is not the end all to beat all. It's to teach you the deeper lesson that we never got. The whole thing is about spirit being glorified in flesh. What is the glory of God anyway? That mythical Mystical word we've heard all of our years in Christianity. I tell you what glory is. It's the visible manifestation of God. It's when you can see him. The Bible said in the beginning was the word and the word was with flesh. Or the, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Go to verse 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. I challenge this church again. Are you just going to be a word church or are you going to be a glory church? I, I, I preach all over the world. I, I'm, I'm 65. I'm qualified to say this. I've flown millions of miles. I call them the word guys. They sit behind me on podiums. I used to call them gabardine socks. All them elders crossed their legs. I could see their hair above their socks. There's nothing more unsightly than that right there. And I'd watch all them word guys sit up there with their legs crossed while I'm preaching till my belly button falls on the floor. And they're, the crowd's going crazy and they're up there going. I did a camp in Arkansas and an old preacher came there and he said, I'm so angry at you. I'd been there, I did three weeks camp in a row. One guy 
got sick, I did, I did one week. The other guy got sick, I came the second week. Third guy didn't show up, I did all three camps in a row. All of a sudden, this old preacher came and he said, I'm so angry at you. He said, my kids came here two weeks ago. I came down there and they was hooting and hollering and screaming and running around worshiping God. They came home and they, were, they acted like last year's bird nest. Just dead. I don't understand it. I said, I understand it perfectly well. They're just acting exactly like what they're surrounded by. Because when they were here, everybody was worshiping and your kids enjoyed it. And they went back to your dead church and your dead preaching and they just fit in with the landscape. You hear that? Live stream. There are three. There are three presentations in the Bible. There are three. The Bible said in Romans 12, present your body a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable. That's reasonable. That's not unreasonable. Oh, boy. Jesus' name. I'll tell you what Paul said. He said, I am making up in my flesh the difference between where you are and where God wants you to be that I can present you as a chaste virgin to the Lord. But the last presentation is this, and he will present it to himself, a glorious church. Yes. Are you just gonna be a Bible church? Sit there and give me some ho-hum. Is that what you're gonna do? I'm telling you, we've gotta have glory. Glory is a visible manifestation of his presence. And people see something. They feel something. This can't be just some bless me club where we come together and go through this little Pentecostal routine on Sunday and then take our mask off to do it on Monday. Ladies and gentlemen, we, we, people, they're coming into this every week. They're coming here. And I'm telling you, we, we're, we're up against, we're up, we're, <laughs> the carnality, this culture, it's out of its mind, nuts. It's crazy what's going on right now. We have an eight-year-old boy in our church who was rebuked by his principal because he would not refer to a boy who now self-identified as a girl and they would not. He had to, he had to call his pal who had been in his house by his girl name. His stupid parents even went to Macomb County and got the boy's name changed to a girl. All right? That's in this church. This is not the biggest church on the planet. It's happening. Why? It's confusion. Don't you get it? It's confusion. The Lord's not the author of confusion. Ah, Jesus. And God loved that precious little boy, eight years old, who looked at his, who looked at his prince and said, I'm not going to do it. He's a boy. I'm going to call him by a boy's name. Ah, don't you get what's going on here? There are people hungry. There are people that aren't hungry. People come to church for all kinds of things. We have boys come looking for girlfriends. We have girls looking for boyfriends. We have people coming looking for money all the time. We have people coming looking for the social aspect. I don't care why they come. Just the Bible said compel them to come to the feast. But when they get here, they got to see something. They got to feel something. This cannot be just some dead, lifeless. Oh, Jesus.
What, what is the whole point of what I'm teaching to you today? This, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, he's the firstborn among many brethren. Lots of them. He's the son of God. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. That's what this says, right? This is what it says in Romans 8 and 17. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God, join heirs with Christ. Watch, if so be that we suffer together with him, we will also be glorified together. For the glory that he wants to reveal is not worthy to be compared to what's going on in this crazy world right now. It's why in Romans 8, it says, it says creation grown. It's not talking about people. It's talking about the planet. The planet is sick. Our world, our air is sick. Our seas are sick. Our oceans are, the planet is saying, where's the church? Where's the church? Where's the church? We have every special interest group in the world. Not ashamed to be perverts. Not ashamed of alternative lifestyle. Not ashamed, but they call us the nuts. And last week was the pride, the pride. Let me tell you what Malachi says. It's time for the bride to come out of her closet. The gays came out of their closet. The, 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 all right, yeah, I can go on and on and on. I want to win the church. We have nothing to be ashamed of. I want to know when the church... Watch, 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 watch. Listen, I appreciate your response, but I'm not preaching for your response. Listen, this is what Peter said in Acts 2. This is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days. I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh, okay? I preached for years. Peter quoted Joel 2.28. No, he didn't. Because if you go back to Joel 2.28, this is what it says. And it shall come to pass afterward. That I, It doesn't say last days. It said, and it shall come to pass afterward that I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Boys and girls are going to get it. Slaves are going to get it. Free people are going to get it. Old people are going to get it. Young people. All the demographics are going to be covered. Look, it shall come to pass afterwards. So I'm just simple-minded enough to say, after what? And all you're going to do is go to verse 27. And that's what it says right before. And you're going to know that I am the Lord. And my people will never be ashamed. And it shall come to pass afterward. After what? After the people get over this self-righteous island they've been living on for years and realize I don't know what 666 means. I just know the world is sick, sick, sick. Am I preaching to anybody that's sick and tired? I'm being sick and tired. Ah, I can go on and on and on. This is what Philip is saying. Is that all you want to know? Who I am? And then he said, look at all this stuff I've done. I, I, I turned water into a sidewalk. I, Jairus' daughter just died, okay? Jairus' daughter just The widow's son of Nain was in the casket on the way to Whitechapel to get buried, okay? Lazarus has been dead four days. Listen to me closely. The degree of death is immaterial when the resurrection shows up. I don't care if someone just died, if they're in the box or already in the grave. That's immaterial. Listen to what Martha said. Where 
where in the world have you been? If you just would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died, which means I got faith for yesterday. He said, he's going to live again at the last Trump. And she goes, oh, I know he's going to raise again. So I got, I, I, I got a lot of confidence for tomorrow. But Jesus said, let, 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 me, let me show you something here, sweetheart. You see this? I am the resurrection and the life. You got that? I'm, I am, I am, I am in an eternally present condition. I'm here right now. And we got all these people with great faith for yesterday and great faith for tomorrow. What about right now? Now faith pleases God. Not yesterday's faith, not tomorrow's faith. Now faith pleases God. We, we've raised all this money, seven million bucks. And I, at least that's where, and, and we've already got a bunch of it already. Got a hundred thousand dollars last Sunday. We're going to average a hundred thousand for the next 36 months. I got people all over them, well-meaning sight walkers saying, Harold, the gas is going to be $10 a gallon. Don't you understand building materials have tripled? Don't you understand that the stock market is going down and inflation is rising? Harold, you are out of your mind to build a new temple in this kind of a, this is what I believe. I believe that if God orders it, he'll pay for it. Okay. And if we can't pay for it, then, then I go, go get you another preacher. Why? I am so grateful that the kingdom of God is not tied to an inflation index. Do you believe that or not? Because this is what Jesus is telling Philip, Philip, I've done great stuff, but greater stuff than these shall you do. Don't you get it, Philip? The revelation of who I am is just the beginning. The real revelation is, do you know who you are? Not do you know who I am? Do you know who you see, Philip? I know who's in me, but do you know who's in you? Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Oh. Ah. I'm almost done. You've got to understand something, ladies and gentlemen. It takes hell to reveal heaven. You understand that? This is 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 22. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I'm speaking as a fool, but he said I'm more than they are. I was asked to do something somewhere between the North Pole and the South Pole a while ago. And all the television cameras were there and they were having a national day of prayer and they're bringing up me and he said, and honest to goodness, I threw up before because I was so nervous. It was like, I'm nobody from nowhere. I don't, I don't, I'm not qualified to be up there with all them smart people and all them brilliant people. And all of a sudden they put these three guys up in front of me and I'm sitting there and I'm going, are you kidding me? That's the best you got? We're supposed to have the burden of this city on our hearts. And that's what you call intercession. It's arrogant, I know. I'm not talking about pride, I'm talking about confidence. God resists the proud. I just wanna say, just sit down and hush and let me pray. Why? This is what Paul is doing. He, he's saying, you know, I'm, I'm telling you, I, I shouldn't be doing this, but I'm so frustrated with all this foolishness that's going on. Let me tell you who I am. He said, uh, uh, of the Jews, 
five times received thy 40 stripes, save one. He's got 195 scars on his back. Three times I was beaten with rods. Study the culture. We're not talking bending you over and beating you on the fanny. I'm not talking about what my, my mom used to do with me with a fly swatter. We used to go on my trips. My dad had a fly swatter in the front seat to correct me in the back seat on a trip. <laughs> they take your shoes off and they beat the bottom of your feet. They break the tarsals, the connective tissues, those rubber bands that make your toes work. They break the tarsals in your feet so you hobble for the rest of your life. No wonder Paul's got Luke with him all the time. No wonder he needs a doctor with him all the time. He said, I've been in all kinds of journeys. I've been in perils in water. I've been in perils of robbers, my own countrymen, heathen. I had troubles in the city. I had trouble outside the city, in weariness, in painfulness, in watching so often. What does that mean? Jesus said, are there not 12 hours in a day? Because to a Jew, the day starts at 6 in the morning and goes to 6 in the evening. But what is it from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m.? There's four watches. 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. is the first watch. 9 to midnight is the second. Midnight to 3 a.m. is the third watch. 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. is the fourth. That's why in the book of Acts he said, I had an angel come in the third watch. I stayed up all night while my pal slept just to make sure the robbers didn't show up. He said, I've been in hunger and thirst. Hunger's when you want to eat and you don't have anything to eat. I've been in fastings, which means I could have eaten, but I chose not to. I've been cold. I've been naked. I treaded water one time for a night and a day in the ocean. You read it. It's in Corinthians 12. I knew a man about 14 years ago. Don't know if he was in the body or out of the body. I can't tell. Caught up to the third heaven. I'm, I can't prove this. It's conjecture on my part, but I believe it's probable. I think if you could backtrack 14 years from when he wrote that to the Corinthian church, you would find yourself in the city called Lystra, where Paul was, they thought he was stoned to death. He wasn't dead, but maybe he was, I don't know. But he, he, he didn't know. I don't know if I was in the body or out, just swooning in and out of consciousness. I saw something, he said. He said, I'm not even allowed to tell you what I saw. Ah, oh, Jesus. Everybody wants the revelation, but nobody wants the rocks. John said, I was on Patmos, but I got into paradise. Too many people want the paradise without the Patmos. In the Old Testament, the priest had a had a shield on the front of his chest that was counterbalanced by a thick thing on his back. And on that shield were these 12 precious stones and each one of these stones was one of the 12 tribes of Israel and he wore them over his heart. But to counterbalance the weight of those, that heavy breastplate, he had this heavy counterbalance on his back and the way they joined him were these things. It looked like epaulets. 
these, these, these things that joined the back to the front, and they're called ouches. Everybody wants the ministry, but nobody wants the ouch. I pastor this church. We've buried three others. I don't know how many people look to me. I'm an elder. I'm an old man with gray hair. And I, every week I get calls from all over the place. And I'm humbled that they would consider that. I can't imagine what was on Paul every day. He refers to it. He says, besides those things that are without that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all these churches. There is no organization. He's it. It's him and Barnabas. Who's weak? I'm not weak. Who's offended? Not me. If I'm going to glory, I'm going to glory in my infirmities. Why? Because I found out that my hell revealed heaven. I've taught you for years. Satan is the antithesis of Jesus Christ. Whatever Jesus is, Satan is the exact opposite. That's why in this reading, he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He's the way, which means he's direction. The word says, our steps are ordered. It's like the puppet master of the universe is, why are you here right now? Why? I'll tell you why. Your times are in his hands. Don't you get it? <laughs> he asked Job, all right, smart aleck, where were you when I put a compass on the face of the deep? Now, the smart guys say the extreme poles of this planet are where we get direction from. That's not what the word teaches. It teaches there wasn't even a north, east, south, and west until God did it. Direction is a God idea. And if you lack direction today, you need Jesus. Because he's the way. Because whatever he is, Satan is the opposite. And if Jesus is direction, Satan is lack of direction. Thus the word lost. The Bible said he came to seek and save that which was lost. I am the way, I'm the truth. <laughs> I, I put myself through college catching people that stole money. It's not the shoplifters that give trouble back then. It was the employees that were stealing all the money. And so me and another friend worked for a magnificent guy. and We caught people that stole money from stores. And, and we'd work in tandem and, and, and I, I, I was first and, and I, I had two tapes, you know, one in the machine that the company kept and I got the other one and I had the time, I had the tape, I had the description of the individual, I had their name. I knew what they stole from me. I would go and my friend would come, Kerry Cox would come behind me and we'd catch him again and again and again. And then we had to bring charges against these people that stole and I'd be in the other room behind a two-way mirror and I'd watch them interrogate these people. I mean, we got them dead to rights and we could never, never get anyone to admit to more than a third of what they actually stole. Something in the deep crevice of the psyche just will not allow us to admit how rotten we really are. 
That's why repentance is so powerful. Let me teach you something about Jesus. Jesus will never be surprised. You'll never come to an altar and Jesus go, oh, shoot, not you. Are you kidding me? I'd believe that out of Blasik. I'd believe that out of the preacher, but not you. You're never going to surprise Jesus Christ. That's why repentance is so powerful because nothing is more appealing to the truth than when you tell the truth. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. That's why the Bible said in Corinthians 15, the sting of, of sin is death. We don't know what life is and we don't know what death is. In the Bible, life is not getting a paycheck and going on elaborate vacations. Life is Jesus Christ. And sin is not a box six foot on the ground. Sin is death. That's why you can be dead before you die. That's why Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. That's why the Bible said, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespass and sin. I, I don't want to get sidetracked here, but I want, I, want, I, want, I want you to get something here. Listen, listen, here's Paul. And, and this is what he says in verse 32 of chapter 11. In Damascus, the governor, Aratus, kept the city of Damascus with a garrison, desiring to apprehend me. And through a window in a basket was I let down by the wall and escaped his hands. See, I don't care if the most powerful person in your world is trying to put you in a box. Jesus will provide you with a basket. Are you going through hell? Don't stop there. <laughs> Keep going. Ronald Reagan went to Moscow years ago with Gorbachev and then he just said, how in the world do you rule in this crazy climate and Gorbachev famously replied, the wind howls and the dogs bark, but the caravan keeps moving on. Ladies and gentlemen, in this culture and in this climate, the wind is screaming and the dogs are hollering. Just keep going. Stand. Stand. Because our identity cannot be restricted to our revelation of who Jesus is. We need to understand not the revelation of God in Christ. We need to understand the revelation of Christ in the church. You get what I'm saying? What's your ministry? What's your gift? Are you just, I listen to men talk. I listen in the lobby. I'm, I'm, I'm always the guy on the edge. People come to visit the church and they'll start talking. Give them about 32 seconds, okay? 32 seconds. 27, 28, 29, 30. I go, here it comes. What do you do? Uh, I'll do this. I'll do that. Because so many men, our identity is through our job. And I'm telling you, sir, comes a time where it won't scratch where you itch. Do you understand what I'm saying here today? You're a child of God. You got a God-given gift. It's time to you to do more than make money and live in the snooty part of down. Oh God. I've been all over the world. I've been in the finest places in the world. There's places I haven't been, but I've been in a lot of them. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. There is nothing that's the equivalent of knowing that God is flowing through you and God is using you.
that it's not just the preacher praying, it's you praying. What about you, Daddy, when your child is sick, that you can go back in the nursery and put your hand on your little girl's head? What about that? I'm calling, I'm reaching, I'm challenging you right now. I know you know who Jesus is, but do you know who Jesus is in you? Do you know what the gift of God is in you right now? What's God want to do with you? Or are you just going to sit there and play these stupid games that we go through and acting like everything's okay, knowing your gift is in mothballs? I'll give you an example. It's in Matthew 9. A lady couldn't get to Jesus, and she grabbed the hem of his garment. It's in the book of Malachi. I'm going along. Thanks for listening. In Malachi, it said, The Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. The Hebrew word for the English word wing is kanaf. The word kanaf in Hebrews means edges or borders of the garment. In other words, Malachi said one of the ways you'll know who Messiah is, he'll have healing in the edges of his clothes. This woman, having no idea what was going on, grabs the hem of his garment and instantly she's made whole. Five chapters later in Matthew 14, it said, and many sought him if they could just touch the hem of his garment. That woman opened up a whole new ministry that had been sitting there that whole time and nobody knew about it. Who are you in this room right now? Who are you in this room right now? Right now, Delisha Gibbs is somewhere in this room, did something. She was raped and molested when she was a kid, had an abortion, horrible, a nightmare story. But she came to me a couple years ago and she said, I got this thing called heart, Brother Hoffman, healing the effects of abortion-related trauma. Would you, would you help me? I said, we did it. Now we're in three countries. And now it's been translated into these different languages. It's nowhere else in the country that I know, but it started here in this church. I'm not just bragging on Talisha. I'm challenging you. What are the ministries that are in these benches here right now waiting to bless people? If you just have the courage to not just say, I know who Jesus is, but have the courage to understand, I have the mighty God in my life. And he wants to do something through me. See? Come with me. I won't embarrass you. Come with me. I'll say yes. Lord, I agree. My desire. Passion. To be what you call me. Are you going to be a satisfied saint? And that's what I'll be. Are you going to reach and stretch?
seconds right here and just begin to ask the Lord, what will you have me to do, Father? I say yes, oh God. I say yes to your will, to your plan.